Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Psalm chapter number 12 tonight, Psalm chapter 12, and this is a generational psalm. You're going you're to see here in just a second, he talks about the children of men. Look at verse number one. He says, help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. So that's the focus of his prayer. The focus of his prayer is concerning what the future may hold for our children, for our grandchildren, for our great-grandchildren. Notice what he says in verse number one. He says, the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful man fail. The, the godly are all gone. That's what he's saying. The godly man is gone. The faithful man, he's vanished. How many of you tonight, you recognize, man, we need godly men in this day and age. We need faithful men in this day and this age. We, we need them for our own leadership, but we also need them for examples and models to our children. And what the psalmist is saying is, man, it's hard to find a godly man. It's hard to find a, a faithful man. Don't be scared of the word godly. It simply means like God. A, a man who thinks like God would think, a man who speaks like God would speak, a man who responds like God responds. Godly men. By, by the way, how, where do we find that? Where do we find how God speaks, how God thinks, how God responds? That answer is found for us in the Word of God. So essentially, someone who is godly is someone who is obeying, following the example given to us in the Scriptures. But he says, man, we can't, we can't find that. Look, jump down to verse number eight. So instead of the godly man and the faithful man, th- th- this, is, this is stopped, this has gone away. He says in verse eight, the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. So vileness is being exalted. Vice has been made a virtue. Sin is what is being celebrated. In other words, evil is called good, and good is being called evil. And believe it or not, the psalmist, when he's writing Psalms 12, is not writing about 2022. Although it certainly could be true. The godly have ceased, the faithful have fallen away. Vile is being exalted. Sin is being celebrated. People are parading about their sinful lifestyles. Immorality abounds. People tell lies and they don't even blush. This is the world that we are living in. And oftentimes, we feel the exact same way that the psalmist is feeling. How, how are my children going to be, be able to navigate this kind of this kind of world? Am I, am I doing all that I can to help ensure that my children can make it? 
The psalm speaks to the situation that we, we find ourselves in. A lot of times we, we feel this for our children. We, we fear for them in the world that they are growing up in. We don't know what the future holds. We don't, we don't know what the future holds for ourselves, much less what the future would hold for them. And so how can they stand in a world where sin is celebrated, where vileness is exalted, where it's hard to find godly and faithful friends, how can we help them stand? Well, no, notice a couple things here. Just two very simple thoughts. I think you have an outline you can follow along with us. Notice two simple thoughts. First, there's just an analysis of this assault. And then second, there's, there's a strategy that we should take. So notice first the analysis of this. So you, you have your place there, Psalms 12. Just keep it there because we're going to come right back to it. But fast forward in your Bible to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and listen to what Paul says. He's talking about the same kind of concept. Evil called good, good called evil. The godly have ceased. The, the faithful, they've fallen away. And notice verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So what Paul is saying is, this, this darkness that is blinding the minds of individuals is the particular work of Satan. He's referred in this passage to the God of this world. And this is what he has set himself to do. He has set himself to bring blindness to human minds. And what is he blinding them to? Well, in this passage, he says he, he is blinding them to the light. Look at the verse. They're blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. So Satan has set himself to blind the minds of those which believe not, and he is blinding them from the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remember what Jesus says in John chapter 8? I am the light of the world. And so Satan is doing everything he possibly can to keep people from seeing the light. He is doing everything he possibly can to keep people from seeing Christ. And, and just, just what exactly is he doing? Well, Jesus says later, or, or earlier rather, in John chapter 8, he says, Satan is a liar, he's the father of all lies, and he's been a liar from the beginning. So, so ultimately, the way in which Satan is blinding minds, he's keeping people in darkness, is by telling lies. So lies are the strategy that he has. And there's a different lie for every day. And there's a different lie for every generation. But it's been lies, according to Jesus, it's been lies from the beginning. It's been lies from the garden. You will be like God. 
God told you not to eat this because he's keeping something good back from you. God doesn't have your best interest in at heart. God doesn't know what he's talking about. It's been lies from the beginning. So, so, so jump back now to Psalm 12 and let's, let's notice some of these lies. There's three of them that he points out. There's certainly more than this, but the psalmist is, is, is highlighting three. He says, first, verse two, they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor. So here's your first one, vanity. Literally, almost every commentator translates that word vanity as emptiness. Remember what Solomon talks? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Most discouraging Old Testament book, the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is empty. Life is vain. I've, I've tried everything. Had all kinds of friends? Empty. Had all kinds of money? Empty. Had all kinds of buildings? Empty. Had all kinds of success? Empty. Vanity, vanity, say it the preacher. It's all empty until he gets to the very end. It's all empty apart from God. The only real satisfaction, the only real fulfillment, the only real contentment that you can find in this life is found in Christ. That's the only place true contentment, real fulfillment, full satisfaction can be found. But notice what David is saying. David is saying this deception that is happening, that is threatening the future faith of his children, one particular one is vanity. Everyone simply utters emptiness to his neighbor. A whole lot of words, well, not a whole lot of meaning. I want you to think about your own day. How many meaningful conversations have you had this week? Not passing conversations. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. How was your day? But meaningful conversations. A conversation that went past the surface. A conversation that went past just the, the niceties of civil people. Meaningful. Something that has meat on it. Something that has some substance to it. So Satan's lie here is vanity. Vanity, vanity. It is, it is possible to go through high school, college, early formative years in your career, retirement, without ever seriously asking the questions that really matter in life. Things like, who am I? Why am I here? What's life for? What lies beyond life? It's quite possible to go to church, hang out with your friends, and never seriously Talk about deep, meaningful issues in life. Vanity is one of Satan's primary strategies. Can I just give you a, a positive word here? Listen, you and I, we need meaningful 
relationships. We need meaningful relationships, not just niceties, not just casual friendships. We need meaningful relationships in this life. You know why? Because we've been made in the image of God. And God himself is a relational being. God exists in perfect relationship with himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist in perfect relationship with each other. What's the son say? What does Jesus say? He says, my will is to do the will of him that sent me. You've heard my words. You've heard his words because I and my father are one. Meaningful relationship. What was the tragedy of the cross? What was the fear of Christ at the cross? It was separation from God, his Father, who he had existed in perfect relationship with through eternity past. This is the fear. What does Jesus say? He says, John 14, I'm going away. I'm leaving. I'm going to go sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to go be with my Father. But don't worry, I'll send another Another, another one like me, literally. I will send another one like me, and he will take up residence in your heart, and he will comfort you, and he will strengthen you, and he will enlighten my words to you. He will remind you of all the things that I have said, and he will fulfill my will in this way. What's he saying about the Holy Spirit? He's saying, the Holy Spirit and I are in perfect relationship with each other. You know why we need meaningful relationships? Because we're made just like God, and we, as, just, as, as the image bearers of God, need relationship in this life. Real, meaningful relationship. You say, well, I have 500 friends on Facebook. Like I said, we need real meaningful relationships. Who, who, do, who, do, who is that person for you? Let's push on that for a second. Who is that person for you? Who is that person that holds you accountable? Who is that person that speaks freely? Who is that person who you've shared vulnerabilities with? Fears, insecurities. We all have them. Who is that person for you? Re read the New Testament. Homework assignment for you. Go, go through the New Testament this week and look up all the times in the New Testament church you're finding a phrase like one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Rebuke one another. Care for one another. Feed one another. Give to one another. Read all the one another's. You know what they're communicating with that phrase? They're communicating meaningful relationships. 
Not emptiness, not empty relationships to be meaningful. Who's that person for you? We should be careful of filling our days up with just words. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said, in a, in a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. In a multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. You know what that means? It means when you find yourself just talking about nothing, you find yourself saying something you shouldn't. Why? Well, because we're sinful creatures. That's why. Because the heart has a sinful bend to it. So he says first, here's the first kind of light, vanity. Satan fills up our lives with a bunch of empty talk. Who is that person for you? Can, can, I, can I give you just a, a friendly pastoral push here? If you can't name a person, who, who that, that, that's who that individual is for you, then commit yourself to find that person. That's the first side. Here's the second side. If you say, everybody in this room is that person for me. <laughs> okay, well then you have no real friends, okay? You, you, you shouldn't be telling everybody everything, but what's certainly true is you should be telling somebody something. You, you, you can't tell everybody everything. Otherwise, there's no real depth. There's no real meat. There's no real substance on that relationship. Relationship, we've said this before. I'll just remind you. I won't develop the thought, but I'll just remind you. Relationship is contingent on two things. Relationship is contingent first on transparency and then second on vulnerability. Transparency and vulnerability. So, Here's who I really am, and here's what I really think. Vulnerability, here's what I've done. Here's what I've said. Here's the way I've acted. Here's the fear I have. Here's the dream. So relationship is contingent on transparency, vulnerability. Without these two things, there, there can't be deep meaningful relationship. It only goes as deep as the transparency or vulnerability allows. But transparency and vulnerability requires that there be a trustworthiness, but it also requires that there be a measure of accountability. I am telling you this so you can keep me accountable. And then not getting mad or angry at the person when they call you to the carpet. So knowing who you are, knowing how you feel, knowing what you've done, knowing these things in your past, do you think that's wise to do? Well, who are you to talk to me? I don't want you to talk to me. Empty. Empty. We need meaningful relationships. You need that. I need that. We all need that. We need that because we are image bearers of God and God is a relational being. And Satan deceives the mind. He keeps us in darkness by fooling us into thinking that just because we're talking, just because we're using words, that somehow this is, this is, this is meaningful relationship, and it isn't. Second, 
flattery. Look, look what he says. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Flattery is only saying what other people want to hear. And flattery is only hearing what you want to hear from other people when they speak. And so flattery is Satan's second brand of deception. If you only hear what you want to hear when other people speak, then you end up not being able to see the light of the gospel. By the way, this, this kind of flattery it runs deep. Just, just go forward in the, in the Old Testament a little bit. Go to, go to Isaiah chapter number 30. Let me just show you this. Isaiah chapter 30. Look at verse number 9. Isaiah chapter 30, verse number 9. If you get there, say, I'm there. Okay, that was like, that was like 25%. I'll give you, give you another minute. Say, I'm there. That was like 50%. We're getting closer. You're just saying it because you think that's what I want to hear. That's flattery. Look at verse 9. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the, proffer, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us, look at it, speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. You see what they say? Don't tell us what is true. Tell us what is smooth. Don't tell me what I need to hear. Just tell me what I want to hear. Affirm me. Don't make me uncomfortable. Don't talk to me about holy things and laws of God. Don't talk to me about the character of Christ. Just tell me the smooth things. We live in a world of people who simply want to be affirmed. They want flattering words. Not truthful words, not convicting words, not words from God. Flattering words. Live in a world where people want to be built up and only hear the things that they want to hear. It's literally called confirmation bias. You heard that phrase before? This is it. Only tell me what I already think is true and don't offer to me any other truth. It becomes an echo chamber, that desire for flattery, that, that desire to simply be affirmed by others causes you to see less of the truth. It causes you and I to see less of Christ. And it feeds in us this, this, this powerful addiction. So a person ends up locked in a prison of their own mind. They're incapable of hearing anything other than what they want to hear. 
And to hear anything other than what they want to hear causes them to spiral out of control. Flattering lips. I told you, Psalms 12 is pretty spot on for 2022. For as much as things change, they really stay the same. Vanity, flattery, look at verse 4. Blasphemy. For who have said, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Complete blasphemy, complete defiance. The image is a person who clenches his fist, clenches her fist at God and says, it's my life, it's my rules, it's my idea, and no one can tell me what to do except me. I'll be my own captain. I'll be my own master. I'll be my own guide. Well, the word to describe that kind of attitude is the word blasphemy. Literally, if you look up the word blasphemy in the dictionary, I did, so if you look it up later, literally means the act of insulting or showing contempt for God. The act of claiming deity. It is putting yourself in the place of God. Remember what Satan said to Eve in the garden? You shall not surely die. Lie. You will not surely die. Look at the food. It's, it's good to eat. Flattery. You will be as God. You can be God. You can decide what's right. You can decide what you get to do. You want to know how the godly man ceases and the faithful man falls? He listens to vanity, flattery, and blasphemy. And he refuses to listen to the truth. So what's the strategy? How do we overcome that? Well, look at the verse. So here, here are the words that Satan is telling you and me in our mind and our culture. These are the words he sets before us every day. Words that are vain, that are flattering, that are blasphemous. Look at verse 6. So now the psalmist is going to contrast. Here are the words that the God of this world offers you. This tells you what you think you want to hear. This lies to you. This affirms you. Affirms you in your own deceit. But there's another set of words that you could listen to. Verse 6. The words of the Lord, they are pure words. As silver tried in a, in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation 
forever. From this generation forever. The word of God is pure, meaning clean, right, complete. The totality of what you need to hear. And then to illustrate exactly what it is like, he uses this illustration. Like silver tried in a furnace of the earth that's been pulled out, cleaned up, stuck back in, heated up, pulled out, dross taken off the top, heated, put in, heated up, pulled out, dross taken off, all the, all the garbage, all the impurities taken off the top, stuck back in. It's an, it's an image. That's all it is. Don't take that farther than Psalms 12 takes it. As a word of warning. It's just an illustration to help us realize the purity, completeness, fullness, rightness, truthfulness of the word of God. That God, in his word, may at times say things that you may not want to hear. He may at times say things that are hard to hear. But he is not saying these words to you or to me in order to harm us or to hurt us. He's simply saying them to heal us, to complete us. God's word and God's word alone brings conviction, brings awareness, God's word and God's word alone does this because his word and his word alone is pure. And so Satan does everything he can to keep you from hearing these words. Go, go, go back into your New Testament a ways. Go, go back to 2 Corinthians. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So remember verse 4? The God of this world, he's, he's telling you lies. He's, he's keeping you in the dark. Look at, look at chapter 4. Look at verse number 6. Verse 6. You found it? Say, found it. Oh, that's a little bit better. I like that. That was more participation. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side and yet not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. We're always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. You see what he says? He says in verse 6, you know how you come out of the dark? God shined a light 
Jesus says, I am that light. John 12. Jesus also says in John 1, I am the word. So how does the light of God shine in our hearts today? According to Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, the same thing David is saying in Psalms 12, shines through the word of God. Let us not lose our confidence in the word of God. Light overcomes the darkness. Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, Timothy, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Psalm 71, from my youth, God, you have taught me. So you read a psalm like Psalm chapter 12 and you wonder, man, what kind of world are my kids, my grandkids going to grow up in? Well, they're going to grow up in a world of darkness. This is true. This is the kind of world that we live in. How do we overcome that? The Word of God. The Word of God. Which means simply, let me just give you something here, just, just pastorally practical. Couple ways, a couple ways to make priority of the scriptures. First, read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. When I was in college, we had a, a pastor came through. He said, here's a, a rule for my house. No Bible, no breakfast. No Bible, no breakfast. He said, no one gets to eat in our house until everybody's read the Bible. So sometimes that means we read it together. Sometimes it means people read it individually. But no Bible, no breakfast. Maybe not a bad rule for you to implement. No Bible, no breakfast. Until I spend time in God's word, I'm not going to do anything else. Read the Bible regularly. You, if you read the Bible with your children, just remember their children, read the, read the Bible briefly. You don't have to read an entire book of the Bible. In fact, I, I would suggest you not try to read the entire book of the Bible in one setting. Just find a small passage here or there and read it. If your kids are small, tell them, you know what? Every night before you go to bed or every morning before you leave for school, we're going to read the Bible. Children are like elephants. They forget nothing. So, uh, off to bed you go, uh-uh, Dad, we don't have to go to bed yet. You said we were going to read the Bible before we go to bed. They will remind you. They're wonderful little alarm clocks like that. Read the Bible regularly. Second, think about big ideas in the Bible, literally doctrines. Think about them. Think, dwell on them. Meditate about them. Think it through. Ideas like justification, sanctification, glorification. Ideas like inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility. Things like the eternality of God, the sufficiency of the scriptures. Next, study the Bible. The third one, study the Bible. Study the Bible by asking questions when you read. Let me give you three questions you should ask every passage you read. Three questions to ask at any verse, at any passage that you read. Here are three of them. First, what is this passage saying? 
What is it saying? Like, literally, what is it saying to me? The Lord is my shepherd. What is that saying? What does the passage say? Second, what does that mean? What does it mean, the Lord is my shepherd? Now, I'm going to start thinking about shepherd and sheep. What does it mean that, what does a shepherd do? So what does the passage say? What does the passage mean? Third one, what does the passage require of me? Okay, so if the Lord is my shepherd, if he is shepherding over me, what does that require for me? It requires for me to be like sheep, to trust my shepherd, to listen to his voice, to heed his call, to go where he leads. Last one, get yourself some Bible study tools. Find a commentary. There's some in our bookstore on the way out. Find a good commentary. You can download most of this stuff. You don't even have to have it in hard copy. Get yourself a good Bible dictionary. I, I never sit down to complete or write a sermon without opening a Bible dictionary. There are so many wonderful tools available that you can open up, that you can use, that you can read, that can help assist you in the process of actually studying the Bible, taking the Bible and hiding it in your heart. Last one, memorize the word. Memorize the Bible. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart. Commit yourself to memorize one verse a week, one verse a month. Just start somewhere. Memorize it. Start with your favorite passage. Go to the book of John. Wonderful verses in the book of John that you can commit to memory. Memorize whole passages of Scripture together. The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. There's great passages of Scripture to commit to memory that will help you to keep the Word of God before you in a world where there are nothing but lies, vanity, flattery, blasphemy all around us. And I love what he says. The word of God is preserved for every generation. You know what that means? That means God's word is just as good for you as it was for David. God's word is just as good for you as it was for Paul. God's word is just as good for you as it was for any of the characters in the Bible that you've ever read. And guess what? God's word will be just as good a thousand years from now should the, should the Lord delay his coming. You know why? Because it's the word of God. You never go wrong committing yourself to the Scripture and committing the Scripture to yourself. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your Word. Now, Father, we ask that you would use your Word in our lives. I want to be men and women of your Word. There are so many words in our world around us. There are so many things that people say. Perhaps even things we say. Father, I pray that you would set a watch before our lips and keep the doors of our mouth and may we only say things in line with your spirit and word. True things, right things, uplifting things, holy things, fair and balanced things, just things. May we press into your word to be the words that we need to hear. 